Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. While you're trying to find Luke chapter 10, if I could have Nakia Jones stand for just a moment. Where's Nakia? If I could have Nakia stand. I saw her in the choir, but now I do not see her. She's in the choir room. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try to remember it at the end of the service if I don't remember because uh, we're going to end like unlike we've ever ended before. Um, uh, Nikia, this is her last Sunday uh, as she is getting married this week and be moving to Oklahoma. And so uh, mom and sister will still be here in our church and we, uh, we are uh, moms here. Mom, you make sure Nikia, you tell Nikia I recognized her. And she chose not to be here in the morning service, and so on her last Sunday. So, uh, but anyway, so we certainly appreciate Nakia. She's taught growth group, been involved in our choir for a long time. And then I, uh, Stephen and Katie, if I could have Stephen and Katie please stand. Uh, they just got back from their honeymoon. Just got married and got back from their honeymoon. And um, uh, I, I, I mean, no disrespect by this, but they look like they're still in junior high school. So it's just, I, I got to be the youngest looking married people in our church. And so we congratulate you guys and uh, congratulations on, on your marriage and getting back from your honeymoon. We welcome you. Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. If you are visiting with us, thank you so much. And as Pastor David said, the introductory video said, you are our special guest However you found us, we're invited, we are delighted that you are here. Today's going to be an, uh, a little bit unusual, and because uh, we're going to end in a way we've never uh, ended before in the history, probably of our church, certainly the 15 years I've been serving as pastor. I hope it'll be a service that we never forget. So I'm asking you to stay engaged today, or there could be a better word than engaged. I'm asking you to stay Okay, only a couple of you picked up on that. That's really not very good. So I'm asking you not to be engaged, but to stay. There we go. We introduced our theme last year. There's seven different aspects of our theme. I'm going to preach a message this morning focused on faith and in a particular area uh, 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 about caring for others. And so uh, we're going to take a short break from our study in the book of Matthew. We will resume that as soon as possible. However, I, I feel it's important that we embrace and we initiate personally our theme into our lives this year. And that's what we're going to do this morning, hopefully, is that you will never forget this passage of Scripture and you will always remember this passage of Scripture in a new way. So with this in mind, um, our first message with our new theme focused, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture. Now this is a lengthy passage of Scripture. Usually we always do responsive, but I kind of want to commentate as I read through it, if that's okay. So we're going to, if you'll just follow along, the words will either be on the screen behind me or you can look right there in your Bible. Luke chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse number 25. We're going to read about a story that I believe that can greatly impact you personally as well as Tucson Baptist Church. And behold, verse 25, there was a certain lawyer who stood up and he tempted, he tempted him, that's Jesus, saying, Master, 
What shall I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, don't we all want to know how we can go to heaven? Nothing wrong with that question. I want all of us to know that we have a personal relationship with the God of heaven through his son, Jesus Christ, and that when we say goodbye uh, to this earth, we know that we're going to wake up in heaven. I want that to be for everyone. That's the whole purpose of the song service this morning was to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. Verse 26, and he, Jesus, said unto him, what is written in the law? Now, you have to remember, though they, the Jewish people were still under something called the law at this point in Scripture, thankfully, Jesus broke the curse of the law. Do you understand that? We no longer live under the penalties and the penal system of the law. We have freedom from the law because we have freedom in Christ. At this time, when Jesus is talking, they're still under the law. And he said, what's written in the law? How, how do you read it? Verse number 27, and he answering said, uh, here is the, the law. You're saying, uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and strength, and, and with all thy mind. And, that's very important, all right? So he's listed what you were supposed to do with God, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he, Jesus, said unto him, thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. In other words, go do what the law says. And you're going to live. You're going to have eternal life. Now, we do understand that when Jesus died on the cross, um, that we now must have to accept him. It's a free gift. We accept him into our life. I trust you've done that this morning. Have you done that with an amen? amen? Now, notice verse 29. Jesus has said, okay, you understand it. You're, you're really bright. You understand the law. Now, just go do it. Verse 29, but he willing to justify himself. In other words, this is an argument, and he, he wants to make sure uh, uh, that, he, that he gets his jab in. Uh, in verse 29, and willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, <laughs> sarcastically, who's thy neighbor? What do you mean neighbor? I mean, like the person that lives in my house, the person that lives right next to me. Who is my neighbor? And then Jesus spends the next uh, eight verses here talking about, through a parable or through a story about who is our neighbor. I don't want you to miss that this morning. And Jesus answering said, There's a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. In other words, he was robbed, beaten up, bloodied on the side of the road. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the same place, came and looked on him. Hmm. Passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan. I want you to notice verse 33. What's the uh, first word? But. So in other words, this is, must be something different than verse 31 and verse number 32. But there was a certain Samaritan. And as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him into an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said uh, to the innkeeper there, uh, take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? Jesus is turning this question back to the lawyer. And the lawyer said, he that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said a second time, go, do thou likewise. Twice in this passage of Scripture, Jesus has told this very educated man, here is how you take care of your neighbor. 
This is how you follow what is, just, uh, is prescribed under the law. And so this is, this morning, going to be a personal message that involves every single person here. And it's every member, regular tender, visitor, it involves every single person. So from my study of the past few weeks, I began to realize that uh, our great need to reach Tucson in a much greater way. And can you relate to this? People are downright hateful and mean right now. They're stressed out. They're coming apart. And instead of Christians, our church, being angry back, we need to focus on how we can make a difference. And I want to encourage you this morning to please take those notes. There's several blanks to fill in, but I want you to take these notes to be able to use in your life this coming week. Um, You see, when we receive Christ, we not only enter into a relationship with Him, but we enter into a relationship with every other believer. And if you know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you are in a relationship with every believer as your brother or sister in Christ that's here this morning. It reminds me of what Paul wrote. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. Beloved, if God so loved us, I want you to listen, we ought also to love one another. Now we can say amen right there, but be careful. But we ought also to love one another. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Do you know, I really believe this, everyone wants to be part of a caring church. Is that a truthful statement? We want to be part of a caring church. One statement I often hear from people who are searching for a church is, uh, we, we want a church where people really care about each other. And I suppose it's also true that every church wants to be a caring church. But don't miss this. Caring churches are made up of caring individuals. So it begins with you. And it begins with me. And if we're going to be a focused, caring church in 24, the church that you've always longed for, the kind of church that makes an impact on people, each one of us, we must learn how to care for our neighbors, to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so from this passage of Scripture, we're going to be right here in Luke chapter 10. Keep your Bibles open. Take some good notes now. I want to break this down in a couple of different parts. I'm going to go quickly so that we can get all those blanks filled in. But more important than that is I want you to learn. I want you to learn some new things today that you can put into your life this morning. Let's first of all focus on the story itself. There was a tough question that was asked for Jesus from a Pharisee. And in verse number 25, it describes a a certain lawyer. Now, a lawyer was not an attorney like we think of one. Now, the the Bible here says lawyer, and when we think of lawyer, we we immediately uh, uh, have a distaste in our mouth because most of us don't like lawyers. They're greedy, 
If you're a lawyer, I'm sorry, you could speak with me after church. But most, uh, most lawyers, they're greedy. They're about themselves, how much money they can make. And, um, and, and they'll, they'll represent just about anyone. And if you've been in court any, any number of times, there's always a slimy lawyer on one side. Always. Now, I realize that we have a, a lawyer among us today. And I am not speaking of you, of course. This is not that kind of lawyer. This, is a, a, this lawyer may be described as one who was an expert in Old Testament law. He was a religious scholar. In fact, it was his job to interpret the Mosaic law and to guide people on how, to re, how it relates to their lives and how they were supposed to live their lives. So here we see this man stood up so as to confront and the word here is used tempted. He was testing Jesus. He was testing the knowledge of Jesus. And it seems that he was not so much interested in Jesus' teaching as he was in tricking him. Now the gospel, I'm so thankful for our Bible. The gospels recount numerous situations where these highly educated Jews, they tried to trap Jesus with their religious riddles and their mind games. By the way, Jesus always won. Every time he asked, teacher or rabbi or master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This was not so much a man seeking truth as it was, it really it was a, a philosophical play. It was trying to be an intellectual trap, if you will. In other words, he asked, because you're supposed to be this great teacher, tell me how I can find in life its fullness, how I can find happiness, how I can find eternity. Jesus, he answers masterfully, and he answers the question with a question. He says this, well, what is written in the law? Uh, what does the Scripture tell you? What does your Bible tell you? What are you reading? How do you understand it? What does it mean to you? And in verse number 27, we see the man responds with the most accurate answer that he could give, being a religious scholar, a lawyer, someone who clearly understood all tenets of the law. And he said... That you're supposed to love God and you're supposed to love your neighbor. And Jesus responds, you've answered right. Why are we having this conversation? Uh, that's how it's going. Jesus understood the man's motive and his intent. Verse 29 tells us that the man wanted to justify himself. In other words, Jesus had not fallen into his trap and not giving up on the debate. He pressed him further. Have you ever been in an argument where, where the person is not going to let you win? They're going to come back after you. Well, this is that man. He mockingly said, well, who's my neighbor? I want you to notice there's a thoughtful quest in this parable. Jesus tells the story, whether it's authentic or metaphorical, I, I tend to lead, uh, lean toward that this was an actual story because the Samaritan uh, is used here as an example. But I want you to notice here that there was a man, the Bible says, who came down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is, I believe, also gives some credence to this being an actual story and, uh, and not just a parable. Uh, because we understand in the culture and context that, that many of the priests and religious workers they lived in Jericho when they were not at their turn ministering in the temple. Let me, let me share with you. Uh, this was about a 16-mile stretch of road that wound through the rocky gorges there between uh, Jerusalem and Jericho. And you would walk up from Jericho into Jerusalem or vice versa, down from Jerusalem back down into Jericho. It was often referred to as the Pass of Blood because there were always people getting robbed and mugged in this 16-mile stretch. 
This was the history of this 16-mile stretch of road. Perhaps this man here was a wealthy Jewish merchant who was bringing his wares uh, to the city. But the Bible says he fell among thieves. Or in other words, the thieves attacked him. They stripped him of his clothing. They beat him up. And the Bible literally says they left him half dead. He was there dying, bleeding beside the edge of the road, everything taken away from him. You understand that picture? Can you see that picture? Um, It's pretty desperate. He's groaning. He's moaning. He's about to lose his life. The Bible says this. About that time, a priest passed by. Jesus specifically states this, and I think it's very interesting in the story. He says this. The priest saw him and then passed by on the other side. And then in verse number 32, it says that there was a Levite. And he was a servant in the temple. He was a a minister of religious worship. He arrived at the place. And and the Bible even says he stopped and looked at him. Hmm. Yeah. He's bleeding all right. He's in bad shape. And then the Bible says he he went on the other side and passed by. Now, I want you to notice some characteristics as we focus on this message of uncaring people. I want to give you several. Some characteristics of uncaring people. Do you know that we marvel at the lack of compassion from the care of these two religious men, a priest and a Levite, two people that should have stopped, should have helped. In other words, please listen carefully, two Christians at Tucson Baptist Church. Who should have stopped, should have helped. But I want you to see their attitudes and their actions. And let's note these characteristics of uncaring people. And and God help us, if any of these are a part of our life, that we'd be willing this morning to confess and forsake that and to do something about that. Number one, uncaring people are often too inflated. Uncaring people are often too inflated. This means that that we're egotistical, we're self-centered. The priest and the Levite, guess what? I want you to listen. They were busy people, and they felt that they were important. And, and, and perhaps in their minds, they were absorbed with their jobs in the temple. And, and far too often, we care for, uh, for those who are hurting uh, uh, only if it is convenient for us. But far too often, we fail to care for those who are hurting because we don't want any interruption in our plans. Uh, We don't comfort them. We don't help them simply because it's about us. It's about me. I'm selfish. I'm inflated of my importance. Number two, uncaring people are too impetuous. Uncaring people are too impetuous. Folks, we are always in a what? We are always in a hurry. We just never have time. All of us are out of time. This world that we live in, we're in the, bigger, uh, the biggest of hurries. And, and I believe that both the priest and the Levite passed by because they were late for work. They had 16 miles to travel. After all, they had thousands of people that were depending on them and their service in Jerusalem. And how often we fail to listen to the concerns of others simply because we're too busy. We're impetuous. We're always doing this and this and this and doing this and that. And we've never ever stopped to see if what I'm really doing is important. And in the the process, I'm just too impetuous to actually help meet someone else's need. 
Number three, uncaring people are often too isolated. Uncaring people are often too isolated. Oh, listen, my friend, people in church are masters at this. We separate ourselves from others by adding layers of protection so that the real us is never seen. And we, especially as men, make small talk and speak superficially because we're afraid of getting others involved with the details of our life. And, and I, I'm just saying a lot of times that we, we're just involved in stuff that doesn't make sense. Quickly, number four, uncaring people are often impaired. Uncaring people are often impaired. In other words, we're not discerning. And often the reason we don't care for each other is that we never hear when someone expresses a need. And oftentimes, it's like the woman who tried to do an experiment. She was having a real crisis in her life. And and when she went to church, how are you doing? Everybody says, how are you doing today? And everybody says, I'm fine. It's a patented answer. We did it today. And this lady, she says, well, she was having a hard time, and she went to church, and everybody asked, how are you? She said, lousy. she She was amazed how many people never even heard her answer. And those who did hear her answer, they would just say, I'm sorry to hear that, and kept on talking. And not one person at church asked her, wait, what's going on? What's wrong? Uncaring people, number five, are too insulting. Uncaring people are too insulting. Here's what I mean by that. Someone else will help. Why do I have to help? When people hear about a problem in another person's life, the first thing to do is, hey, call the pastor, call the church. I don't need to be involved with that. Our attitude is one of insult rather than help. Number six, uncaring people are too inattentive. Uncaring people are inattentive. In an area of social media today, here we have hundreds of iPads and iPhones and iTouch and I this and I that, and it's amazing how forgetful we have become as a society and and, um, and, and, and why didn't you visit that person in the hospital? Why didn't you call that single mom uh, that's having a struggle? Uh, why didn't you call those people in your growth group class? Why didn't you check on that elderly person? Is that we've just, we're, we're not attentive anymore. And you, maybe you did forget. And you got so wrapped up in your own life that you just forgot that other people have needs. That describes an uncaring person. Number seven, uncaring people are are too impersonal. Many think problems will just solve themselves. Don't get involved. It'll work out. And so we're impersonal. We do not want to personally get involved in the lives of someone else. And number eight, uncaring people are, are too irreverent. Uncaring people are too irreverent. Too often people are disrespectful and often judgmental. And I just ask you this morning, have you ever said something like this? Well, if so-and-so had done what was right to begin with, she wouldn't be in that situation now. He made his bed, let him lie in it. I'm sure I'm glad you never made a mistake. I'm sure I'm glad you've never had any problems. 
But I'm thankful that in this passage of Scripture, God gives us, as we focus number three, God gives us a, 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 a glimpse of what a caring group of people should look like. The eight attributes or characteristics of uncaring people. I ask God to help me not be one of those people. I don't want any one of those characteristics in my life. And I ask God to show me if any of those characteristics are in my life. And I'd ask you to do the same thing this morning. But then I also ask God to help me be like this person called a Samaritan. Number one, caring people set aside personal prejudice. Caring people set aside personal prejudice. Jesus tells us that the third man came down the road was a, and this is why I believe it's a, this is why I believe it's a real actual story is that he identifies him as a Samaritan, capital S. Samaritans were half-breed Jews. They were a race of people who had a Jewish ancestry on one side and a Canaanite ancestry on the other side. And because of their mixed blood, Jews hated Samaritans, and because of the hate that the Jews had for the Samaritans, the Samaritans hated the Jews back. But also, the Gentiles hated the Samaritans because they had Jewish blood. The Samaritans were in a difficult, and it was very difficult for Samaritans because on both sides of them, people hated them. Now, the fact that the wounded man was Jewish didn't seem to bother the Samaritans. As we read through this parable, we see that he went uh, to great length and considerable expense to help this Jewish man of which the Jewish people hated him. You know, when someone is hurting, a caring person will set aside any prejudice. We don't see skin color. We don't see ethnic background. We don't see if that person is rich or that person is poor. We don't see if that person has made some mistakes or didn't make mistakes. A caring person is going to come alongside to help a brother or sister in Christ. Number two, caring people notice personal pain. Caring people will notice personal pain. Now, if I haven't got your attention, I certainly hope I have it with this one. Notice specifically this verse says that the Samaritan focused on this injured man. The Bible says this, he came where he was, he saw him, and unlike the priest and the Levite, it seems that he came over to inspect the man. In other words, the Levite, he came, huh, yep, he's bleeding all right, can't do nothing for him, and he went on. The Samaritan, he came, oh no, he got down, he got his hand dirty, he rolled him over, as the man groaned broken ribs and maybe a broken nose and bleeding and, and, and the Samaritan makes an assessment of this man and he sees the man's pain. Imagine the Samaritan as he, was, as he himself was warily making, him, him, making himself go up and down this, this road and, and constantly looking for the bandits and hearing this groaning in the, in the roadside ditch and disregarding his own safety. He found this beaten, half-naked, half-dead man. By the way, the Samaritan is an example to us that he took time to see what was wrong. And so often, we're like the priest and we're like the Levite and we're caught up in our own plans and our own agendas and, and we don't even notice when someone else is hurting. Hey, how are you doing? Fine. Good. We are in our own little world. 
And even when they speak of their pain, people, uh, uh, the Levite and the priest and people of Tucson Baptist Church, we try to change the subject real quick. Focused people are always looking for ways to care for others. Number three, back in verse number 33, caring people take time to be pleasant providers. Caring people take time to be pleasant providers. I want you to notice a key phrase in verse number 33. The Samaritan had compassion. Now, that word compassion comes from a Greek word that literally means a yearning in the bowels. Jesus had the, the same compassion for the, the multitudes. Uh, um, God has compassion for us, and he sent his son, Jesus, who had compassion for us. And so often we have lost our compassion for other people who hurt. I wonder if we're like Jesus. We're never more like Jesus than when we exhibit compassion for someone. Number four, in this story, we see caring people will passionately participate. Oh, this is where it's going to get fun this morning. Caring people will passionately participate. The Samaritan, the Bible says, went to him. He didn't pass by. He chose to involve himself. He bandaged his wounds. The Bible says he, he poured on his wounds oil and wine. Oil would have been olive oil. It was widely used as a medicine during this time period. Wine was used as an antiseptic to keep those wounds clean and to prevent uh, infection. And the Samaritan put him on his own animal. We assume he traveled with a donkey. And instead of riding, get this picture, a Samaritan half free Jew, put an actual full-blooded Jew on his donkey and gave this man a ride on his donkey and he walked on the road. And the Bible says this Samaritan brought this injured man to an inn and took care of him. Now, may I just remind you, we live in a completely different society. During this society, there were no hospitals, and there were no emergency rooms, and there were no ambulances, and there was no 911 to call. There was no place to drop this victim off. So the Samaritan actually rented a room, cared for the man as best as he could. And in our culture, it's, it's too easy to be isolated. It's easy to look the other way. It's easy not to hear the person in need. It's easy to forget to pray for and to call a fellow church member going through a difficult time. They're out of sight, and so therefore they are out of mind. May I just tell you, Jesus got involved. The Samaritan got involved. Number five, caring people are not pompous politicians. Caring people are not pompous politicians. Notice that on the next day when the Samaritan got ready to leave, he paid the innkeeper, the Bible says, two pence. He took care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, he says, I'm going to repay you. You just let me know. Keep a tab of all the bills. I'm going to repay you. Not only did he care for the man, he paid for the bill. May I just inform you of something that's amazing this morning? Jesus is not stingy either. He's typified in the Samaritan. He paid our sin debt in his own, with his own life, with his own blood that was sung about this morning. And I love the words of that old hymn. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson or bloody stain. He washed it white as snow. 
Jesus asked such an easy question in verses 36 and 37. Finishing the parable, Jesus turned to the lawyer and he asked this question. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? The lawyer had to hang his head. He said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And if we want Jesus' blessing, if we want to be a caring church, if we want to be the church that we've always <coughs> dreamed of, we must focus on Jesus' command here. Go and do likewise. And with that, I'd like to give you as a finale to our message six things that you can do this week. I'm just going to mention them because my time is not going to allow me to develop each one of these, but I think some of them are self-explanatory. If we're going to be focused as a church, brothers and sisters in Christ, that meets the needs of one another and helps us to understand and identify one another, we need to do these things. First of all, we must identify people who need our care. Number one, we must identify people who need our care. We've got to sit down. We've got to make a list of needs of people around us. We've got to understand the needs in our family and in our church family and perhaps your neighbors and your coworkers. We need to identify people who need care. Number two, we need to reach out to others. Don't wait for them to come to you. We need to reach out to others. Don't wait for them to come to you. In church, you should shake their hand and introduce yourself and take time to get to know them. Most people are private. And they'll not even bother telling you their burdens until you take time. Take time to get involved with them. Thirdly, we need to communicate beyond the superficial level. We need to communicate beyond the superficial level. When you meet someone... Yes, it's okay to talk about the weather. I have heard it throughout our campus this morning. A bunch of men talking about the Kansas uh, uh, Chiefs football game with the Miami Dolphins yesterday. I haven't heard a single person talk about the football game. I, you know what I've heard them talk about? I've heard them talk about the, the weather. It's the fourth coldest football game in playoff history, and everyone wants to talk about it. It's minus 30 degrees. Uh, I, was a, I, I have no interest in ever, I don't care how much I love my sports team, I have no interest of being outside in 30, minus 30 degree weather. So people have talked about it today. I, I'm, not saying, I'm not being critical of that, but as you develop a relationship, you must per, pursue something that's deeper and more meaningful uh, in that relationship. Number four, we need to empathize with them. We need to empathize with those who need our help and need our care. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote to the church of Galatia. He said this, Bear ye one another's burdens, and in doing so you fulfill the law of Christ. We need to let people know that you're willing to help them and get under their load and, and, and help carry that load with them. Now don't miss number five and, and, and dismiss this. We need to listen without judging. If we want people to share their burdens, we've got to be willing to listen without judging. Good communication requires concentration and hearing what is not said as well as what is said. And it involves eye contact and body language. And, 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 and we have to hear the person's heart and their needs and their anxieties. And, and our action step for, the, for, for maybe this week is just listening with Jesus' ears and, and listening how we can be a help to someone who is hurting. Six, we should respond with a caring gift. Now, you automatically think 
the word gift means money. That is not what I mean. We should respond with a caring gift. One of the greatest gifts that you can give someone is the gift of time. One of the greatest gifts that you can give. Um, uh, you, you could write a text or, or you could give a gift uh, uh, if that's necessary, but a gift of time, uh, a, a gift of you getting involved in their life, we need to do that. Everybody wants to be part of a caring church, but a caring church must be made up of caring individuals. I want to do something different this morning. And this may get me get myself in trouble. If it does, it does. I'll handle that. But I don't think we're ever going to forget how we're going to end the service this morning. So I invite you to put up your notes in your Bible and your purse and your phone. And I'd like to invite some people to come and sit in some chairs down here. And so uh, Pastor Jonathan's going to help me. A couple other guys are going to help me here. And and so I, I'd like to ask uh, these people to come in this order and to sit across here in a certain order. I'd like to ask John and Whitney Mingy to come and sit here on my far left. Frank and Carla Cruz, if you'll come and sit up here. Asher and Silhan, if you'll take the third set of two. Erica and Jacob, if you guys will come up here. Um, and then I'd like to ask Mason and Jacob Edens to come up here. And then I'd like to ask Dr. John and Mary Hovey to come and then Aline um, Beck to come, Rodrigo and Cassie Gonzalez, uh, Kathleen Wynn, and Allison Peck. And so we should have here, uh, uh, over here on my left, we should have John and Whitney Mingy, uh, Frank and Carla Cruz, Asher and Silhan, Erica and Jacob, Mason and Jacob. And then we should have Dr. and Mrs. Hovey here, and we should have Elaine Beck here, and um, Rodrigo and Cassie, Kathleen Wynn, and then Allison Peck. And so um, I, I want to illustrate to you the story of the Good Samaritan this morning. Is that okay? We're going to do it. But before I do, I'd like everyone to look at me for just a second, not the people that are down here. I'd like for you to look at me. Every one of you this morning will be a priest, a Levite, or a Samaritan in how you leave this place. What do we know about the priest? Here's the priest. <laughs> For somebody else. I don't, I don't want to get my hands dirty on that. And he left. The Levite, he paused and looked long enough to say, hmm, yep, they're hurting all right. Now for me, I'm going to go. And then there's going to be hundreds of Samaritans that you're going to engage today. I'm going to ask you to. You'll see that at the end. So sit back and allow me to illustrate this. All right. So I'm going to have uh, John and Whitney please stand, and we're going to go all the way across here, and uh, I'm hoping that this will, will, uh, will, will, you'll understand. John and Whitney. Everyone know John and Whitney? Every single person here. John, he leads the singing. Whitney sings in the choir. Uh, they have two amazing children. And, um, and, and here's, here's the thing. They're very active at church. Everyone knows them. Uh, they're, they're always smiling. They never have problems in life. Ever. They never fight. They never argue. They, have, they are the perfect couple. Husband, wife, uh, parents. Uh, they have the perfect family, a boy and a girl, the family of four. Everything's perfect about them. All right, let me go to the next one. Oh, oh no, no, no. Wait a second. Um, uh, John is a paramedic. 
Have you ever thought that every time there's a siren, there's a wife that wonders where her husband's going today? What fire? What car accident? What gun shooting? What disease will my husband come in contact with today? What, what needle, what drug will my husband come in contact with and potentially his life forever changed because of the profession that God's called him into? I wonder this morning, have we ever prayed for our first responders? And prayed for our soldiers, our men and women who are in harm's way while we sit and eat pizza and drink Coke at home. Have we ever prayed for the Border Patrol agents? And we have a number of them in our church who, who literally are on a wide open border and in perilous harm. Do we ever think about it? I submit to you that we ought to add people like the Mingis to our prayer list how can we help? How can we encourage? And perhaps when we hear the siren, hey, uh, John, I need to pray for him. Is John going on this call? I need to pray for Whitney so she's not alarmed about her husband. Thank you, guys. This is Frank and Carla. Would you guys please stand with me for a second? I want to tell you the story of Frank and Carla. Now, everyone knows John and Whitney, but I want to say that 90% of you do not know Frank and Carla, two of our newer church members. They moved here from Memphis, Tennessee. None of us are moving to Memphis, Tennessee. Crime capital of the world right now in our country. The crime is outrageous. They have six beautiful children, and they said, we've got to get out of Memphis before something happens to our family. And they moved here to, to start a new life, and they started a, they started a restaurant here. They're, they're business owners, um, and they started a restaurant. I tell you what, they're working 150 hours a week and are trying to make it a go, and it's been a struggle, and they're still trying to come to church, and, they're, and they're still trying to do right by their children. And, um, and really, literally, I think there's like 100 of you that's going to the restaurant to support them. And, um, but you know what? They're hurting. I wonder if anyone's ever taken the time to get to know Frank and Carla business owners and said, hey, what is going on? You look so down. Tell me about the business. Something we can do to help. Let me come and try. Let me come and eat. Let me help support you. They're, they're, they're one of us. They're one of our church families. I'm telling you, this family needs some encouragement. They need some, they need some good Samaritans to come alongside and love on them. Thank you guys so much. This is Asher and Seal. You guys, please stand. This is Asher and Seal. Now, listen, I, I love Asher and Seal. Uh, they're what they call snowbirds. They're here uh, six months out of the year, and then they go back to Colorado six months out of the year. And, and, um, and, and I love them for a couple of different reasons. Um, they've been very generous to our church. And they're, they're also business owners, and they own their business back in Colorado. And, um, and, and, and they have helped Pastor David with junior camp and teen camp and teen retreats. And, and, um, and they just hear of a need. And they, and they say, how can I help? And, and last year, they had a horrible year in business. Maybe you guys could talk, okay? <laughs> they had a horrible year in business, ended the year, uh, in, in, uh, and I didn't get permission. They don't, by the way, not one single person knows what I'm doing here. They are randomly called up here, and they do not know what's going on. This, is, this, has, this was not pre-planned, pre-packaged. They had a horrible year in their business, and then just... just just a couple uh, uh, weeks ago, Asher came to me and says, you know what? He says, I, I still would like to give something to the staff. 
and it'd be a help to the staff, even though they lost a very large number last year in their business due to Biden, Bidenomics or something like that. But I not bring them before you. I want to bring them before you in a different way because there are parents here. Your adult child is away from the Lord and it tears you up every day. They have a child that's away from the Lord and it eats at them every single day. And they pour out their heart to God. God, bring him back, bring him back. God, we love him, bring him back. You don't know that. Unless you've taken the time to get to know their hurts and their cares and the ditch that they're in. I'm just wondering. Maybe you would come alongside them and say, give me his name. And I'm going to commit to pray for you. I'm going to come alongside. I love you guys. And I'm praying for your son. You can be seated. We have someone that puts his life in danger. A business owner that's struggling in our church. A family that has a wayward son. Oh, uh, hey guys, won't you please stand? They're probably terrified because they have no idea what's going on. We got a single mom. Jacob lost his dad last year. We go about our lives and we don't think about the single parents in our, in our church and there's a number of them. Who's going to take Jacob to a ball game and just be with a bunch of guys? Who's going to teach Jacob how to drive a car? I certainly hope it's not his mom. I've seen her drive. <laughs> what about the times of single moms laying in bed at night and lonely? Frustrated because there's no man to, to, to actually be an influence in his son's life. You know where Jacob, what, what Jacob does? He goes to school, he goes to church, and is at home. You know who the influences are in his life? Right here in this church. Are you being an influence in Jacob's life? Or do you even know his name? I say, we as Samaritans, we have a responsibility to come alongside and help the single parents of our church and those who are have children that are either you know, have a mother or a father, and we have a responsibility. Thank you guys so much. This will be a little hard for me. Guys, come on, stand up here, okay? I'm, I'm going to try not to make you guys cry, okay? Jacob Mason. Having had their mom's funeral service, coming up. No mom, no dad. Ten days ago, Walked into her bedroom. She wasn't breathing and tried to do CPR. Paramedics came, did CPR for 20 minutes, and finally had to declare their mom dead. She died from some severe case of pneumonia, struggling. This isn't somebody else's church. This is our church. We have two young men. No mom, no dad, and they're have to do their mom's funeral service coming up on the 26th. Grandma and Grandpa now have to step up to the plate. But as we see these guys at church, you know what? We can be a priest. 
a Levite, or a Samaritan. I love you guys. I'm so sorry about the loss of your mom, but I want you to know this. This church loves you, and we're going to love on you, okay? Thank you guys so much. Can you stand? Can you guys stand? This is Dr. John and Mary Hovey, fairly new, joined last year. One of our themes this year is focused on fitness, what we eat, how we exercise. Here's a man that, in God's infinite providence, decided to give him Parkinson's. And while some of us, we eat our foolish calories and we drink our drinks full of sugar and we really care what we care not what we look like and that we can't, that we can't go up five steps and before we have to pause and take a break, we really don't care about our, we really don't care about our fitness. Here's a man that's in his 80s and went to his home and then I've remarked every time you shake his hand, he about crushes it. And his wife helps him every single calorie, carbohydrate, morsel of food is measured so that he can extend his life to fight this dreaded disease that was not of his own choosing. Walked out into his garage and there's a boxing machine. Here's a man with Parkinson's that has to use a walker. His wife has to steady him on his feet. And... Um, and he goes out and he boxes just to stay fit so he could live another day. And some of us eat and drink so that we can die sooner than later. But have you ever considered that here's a couple that every day of their life, they fight to live another day? Mrs. Hovey takes care of her husband hour by hour, day by day, and yet she has just come through cancer surgery herself. I wonder if we've prayed for this family. Huh. Sure, I'm glad it's not me that has to walk with a walker. Sure, I'm glad it's me that doesn't have Parkinson's. Sure, I'm glad it's me that doesn't have cancer. Or we are caring people that says, my, oh my, how can I help? When you have to go to the doctor, can I come and sit with Dr. Hovey and, and just be a blessing? By the way, he'll bless you more than you'll ever bless him. I love this couple. But they also represent other people in our congregation who have debilitating diseases that are fighting to stay alive. Well, some of us are priests and Levites, and we don't even care because we don't ever see them. We don't ever hear them. Thank you, guys. Elaine, if you please stand. This, I picked her because it represents a number of people in our church, and, and that is this. Can you, uh, can you see the number of widows and widowers among us? Do you even see it? I was listening to Elaine tell a story about um, her husband, Bob. How do I know about Bob? I listen. A little over three years ago, uh, Bob 
got sick. He went to the doctor, and the doctor said he needed to go to the hospital. He went to the hospital. He never came out. Many of us will go home and never think about a widow or a widower in our church, but may I just remind you of a couple things that maybe you've never thought about that are wounds. Bob's date of death. Bob's birthday. Their anniversary date. Valentine's Day. Thanksgiving Day. I'm supposed to be thankful today? Christmas. An empty house. Turn out the lights. And I go to bed by myself. No one to talk to. Do you know that our church has many widows and widowers that need some Samaritans that could care about them? Thank you so much. Rodrigo and Cassie, oh, they have three children. Look on the outside to be completely healthy. Just like John and Whitney looks like the perfect family. John's profession is why I'm bringing him to. Here's a couple that are both struggling with health issues, and, and uh, you wouldn't even know it. And, and uh, Cassie has something. I, I really uh, it, it, I, I don't, I can't, don't think I can explain all of it. But um, uh, every day she lives in pain, and every day she still has to be a mom, and every day she still has to, uh, to be a wife. And, and uh, Rodrigo's having some health issues, and, uh, and, and you wouldn't know it unless you spent time talking to people. And, and, uh, and here's what I'm saying is they're in the ditch. And they're not going to stand up here and say, hey, church, look at me, pray for us. You know what they're going to say? Boy, there's other people that need more prayer than I do. But they have three children at home. And mom and dad are sick. They both have some things going on health-wise. And, and I just want you to remind you that not everybody, uh, not everybody is uh, 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 healthy and perfect, uh, even though they look good on the outside. Don't they look good? Good-looking couple. But you never know what's going on on the inside. Do we take time to get to know them? Thank you, guys. Here's Kathleen. Kathleen, can you please stand? Oh, wait, here's a different way to pray. Do you know that, that, that she's, go, she's running for public office? We stand and we'll say, man, the politics are horrible in Washington. They're horrible in our state. We got to do something about it. And we'll say, amen. Well, here's somebody who wants to do something about it. And she's going to run for U.S. Congress. Oh, my. Does that open herself up with, for, does that open herself up? for the fiery darts of the devil because everybody comes out of the woodwork that hates her or thinks they hate her or thinks they don't like her or thinks they know her or they thinks and and she needs our help and support as a sister in Christ who's trying to do something that we preach about and we say we've got to change we need to do something we need to make some changes she wants to make changes have we gotten the time to even know what she's all about we need to do that how about some single adults? Here's, this is Allison. Allison, except for so everybody can see you over there. This is Allison Peck, one of our single adults. I've gotten to know Allison. I am so thankful for her. There's probably, and with, at the risk of offending anyone, there's probably no one who has a sweeter spirit in our church than she does for her age and the things that she suffers with. She has a debilitating internal disorder disease that I've never heard of, and if I explained all of it, you've never heard of it. But let me just say this, is that she cannot eat like we eat. 
She has a radical diet that's just so that she can eat and survive, and she lives a very hurtful, painful life all of the time, and yet you would never know it unless you got time to get to know her. Caring people get to know hurting people. And you would never know it if you, you, well, she's fine. I'm sicker than she is. Oh, no way. There's things that she does that would absolutely, you say, there's no way that's true. But yet she's always at church, even if she's in an immense amount of pain. I'm thankful for her testimony. I'm thankful for her involvement in our youth ministry and our single adults ministry. And anytime she hears there's a need of putting something together, she arranges her schedule to do that. But you wouldn't know it unless you spent time getting to spend time with her. Thank you so much. There's 10 groups of people here. You say, well, why didn't, you sele- why didn't he select me? I selected people that represent needs within our congregation. There are people that have careers that are in harm's way. There are people like, uh, uh, like the Cruz family here that are struggling. They moved here to our town, to our church. We need to love on them. We need to come alongside them and pray for them. And there are people, there are several people here who have a wayward child, and you've asked me to please pray for your wayward child. You're begging God to bring them back. Um, and... We as a church family, we need to come alongside. And what about our single parents? And, and what about Jacob? And, and yet we have two young men who's lost their mother and father. And the mother's funeral service hasn't even taken place yet. And we're indifferent. We don't care. We have people who have diseases and, and put every effort that they have just to make it to church because they love our church so much and someone stubs their toe and, whoo, I don't have to go to church. We have a couple like this. We have so many widows and widowers in our church that you remember every date. And we're alone on so many of those days that are dreaded by you. We have people who have sickness, and we have people who are trying to make a difference in our country. We have people, uh, single adults with their whole future ahead of them who have some sickness and things like that, and yet we're indifferent. Now, I anticipated this question. Well, pastor, I didn't know until you told me. And you've just illustrated my point. You didn't know because we don't take the time to know. 